0: Hello, my name is Josh. Tonight's Bible reading comes from Mark chapter 12, from verse 13 to 17. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. They brought him a coin And he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Hello, everyone.
1: I'm Pastor Elvin. I don't often come here, so it's my pleasure to be with you tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this fellowship that we can have together, that we can have a time of worship to you, and may you be with us as we hear your word. May your Holy Spirit work in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray all this, amen. So we'll continue our talk on Mark, we're up to Mark chapter 11 and 12. And one of the things I learned in Bible college was when I try to look in, try to interpret a passage. I look at the theme of the book. Well, so we look at firstly the theme of Mark. Well, what I have been told is that the theme of the book of Mark is about the kingdom of God, has come with power. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> if you look at the passage, um, the whole book of Mark, it contains of three parts. The first part is chapter one to eight, it's about Jesus in Galilee, and then eight to 10 is about his way to Jerusalem. And from chapter 11 to 12 is him in Jerusalem. So very easy, three parts. And we are now looking at the third part, Jesus in Jerusalem, Chapter 11 is about Jesus come into Jerusalem to suffer. It's about his last week on this earth. Well, before he resurrected. So, chapter, uh, so verse, um, chapter 11 to 12 talks about Jesus, about his authority before he suffers. And that's the thing that we will focus on. And then chapter 13 to 16 talks about his suffering, his death, and resurrection. So Mark is telling us that the one who suffers and dies for us and resurrected is the servant king. And he has inaugurated a new kingdom. Well, when we first look at chapter 11, it begins with the scene that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, riding on a cot. Well, initially he was welcomed when he entered into Jerusalem. It's a Palm Sunday welcome. Chapter eleven, verse eight to ten says, uh, eight to nine. Sorry, um, it's not here. It's eight to nine. Says when people, when he come into Jerusalem, people put all the branches in the fields, they cut and lay on the ground. And then and shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means please help. Please save. So the people are thinking that Jesus is the Messiah. That they will come to save them from the the ruling of Roman Empire. Well, it was a very beautiful time. Happy time. And Jesus came in like a king. Well, as the story unfolds, however, we know that that day was happening. That thing was happening on the Sunday of the Passion Week. On that Friday, Jesus will be crucified. How did a man that is being worshipped by all the people end up on the cross? Chapter eleven and twelve tries to explain to us that turning point. The point is. People did not expect him to be that kind of Messiah. Well, so far, from chapter 1 to chapter 10, it talks about Jesus as a servant. But now, chapter 11, it begins to tell us he's actually having authority. He's not only a servant. He's a servant king. Chapter 11 starts to... Tells us about Jesus' authority over two areas of authorities at that time. The first one is religious authority. The second one is political authority. If we look at Jesus' authority over religious authorities, we can look at chapter eleven when he talked about the cursing of the fig tree. That's the first thing that he did when he um, came into Jerusalem. Uh, and then, the next day, he goes back to Jerusalem again. And then, he, the first thing he, that he did was to curse the fig tree. Well, and the second thing he did, the Mark in chapter 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 15 to 18, is talking about the cleansing of the temple. And then in chapter 11, verse 20 to 25, it talks about the weavering of the fig tree. So you know, have you noticed there's a sandwich, there's a hamburger here? So the fig tree and then the fig tree. And then in the middle, he talks about the cleansing of the temple. Actually, this is a technique that Mark always used when he writes the book of Mark. If you notice, it always happens. Well, the message of what he's trying to say is in the center. The beef is the meaning that is the cleansing of the temple. And it is somehow related to the cursing of the fig tree. So, therefore, cursing and withering of the fig tree is somehow related to the cleansing of the temple. Well, in the, temp- in the Bible, fig tree is the symbol of Israel. And temple is the center of religious activities. Jesus says the temple has become a rubber span, dense. It is not performing the function of being a a place for prayer. People are charging unreasonable charges for the the people to come to God. So, most of the people can't afford to come to the temple. So what he did, he overturned the tables of those who exchanged money and cast out those who are buying and selling in the temple. Well, what he actually overturned is not just the tables of those who exchange money, but he was overturning the whole religious system in Israel, because at that time it was exploited by the religious leaders, who are longing for make money and did not bear fruit, fruit, fruit to the people of Israel. The whole Israel is just like a fake tree that doesn't bear fruit. So the old religious system is being cursed. That's why in chapter 13, you will see that Jesus has prophesied the temple will be destroyed. And actually, it has been destroyed in um, 70 years after Jesus' death, AD 70, when the Romans destroyed it. Well, and in chapter 11, when the disciples and Jesus went back to the place Next morning, they saw the fig tree dried to death. And you know what, that, what Jesus said at that time? He said that you did not have faith. He says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, Surely I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but he believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Well, what he says, this mountain, It's not any mountain. It's that mountain of the temple mount. He's saying that the temple will be destroyed. If they have faith in Him, people no longer need the the temple in order to get close to God. Because He will be the temple. He is the temple. And then you can expect in verse 27 onwards, you see the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord and the elders come to him and ask him about his authority. What's the authority? You are you, By what authority are you doing these things? They ask. Who gave you authority to do this? When they say these things, they are referring to the act of cleansing the temple. Well, you know this has triggered the hate and anger of the high priests and the scribes, and they wanted to kill him. The religious leaders thought he is challenging the position as religious authority. The temple will be destroyed, and he is the only temple. Jesus has authority over these religious authorities. It's no wonder they come and challenge his authority. In chapter 11, verse 28, they come and ask about this. And then in chapter 12, Jesus told a parable of the vineyard and the sun. He's saying that the religious leaders did not accept the Son of God coming to them. Well, this has really irritated the religious leaders. And uh, what's 12 of Mark? Twelve says that the chief priests, the teachers of the Lord, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken in parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Well, this is the background of the story of the passage that we read today. It's about Jesus' authority over the political authorities. These religious leaders tried to make use of another opportunity to question his Jesus' authority. And this time, they did not come alone. This time, they come with a political party called the Herodians. The Herodians, they were supporters of Roman imperial power. And the uh, Pharisees, they were not. But they have a common goal. They want to find reasons to catch Jesus they put him, want to set a trap for him to fall into, so that's verse 13, and then what's the trap? It's very important that we understand what's the trap. The trap for them, if we look at Verse 14, it says they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are men of integrity, you are not swayed by others, because you pay attention no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Uh, this is the trap. This is the question. Well, the tax is a protest, uh, which is not a large amount, but it symbolizes those who pay the tax to be under submission to Caesar. So the trap is, if they say yes, he will lose the support of the people. Because all the people, the Jews, don't want to submit to Caesar. All, all the Jews want, to be, uh, want him to bring these people out of the reign of Caesar. Well, if Jesus says no, He will be caught by the Roman authorities, because the Herodians are there. So, you know what do they expect? They expect Jesus to say no. Then they can catch him. If Jesus says, no, don't pay tax, then they will catch him on the spot. Well, because in their minds, Jesus is one of the people who come to lead people into revolt. In the book of Acts, we are told that somewhat about 25 years ago, there was a man called Judas the Galilean, who came and led people into revolt. In Acts we know that his name is mentioned. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 37 says, After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He was too killed, he too was killed, and his followers were scattered. Well, this Judas of Galilean we have a historian talk about him. Josephus talked about him when he says, there's a certain Galilean whose name is Judas prevailed with his countrymen to be worked and said they were cowards if they would endure to pay a tax to the Romans and would, after God, submit to mortal men as their laws. There are other sources that say that that Judas actually cleansed the temple. With an armed band, he went and cleansed the temple. He got rid of all the foreigners, throwed out all the Gentiles, all the Romans, he cleansed the temple. This Judas of Galilee also called himself Son of God. Well, that's why this. There's a good reason that these Pharisees and Herodians think that Jesus is just another rebellion, Judas the Galilean. They would expect that Jesus to say, no, don't pay tax, and then they could catch him. But what did Jesus respond? Jesus asked them to bring him a denarius. A denarius is a silver coin. Corn is a equivalent of a daily wage. It's like, um, do we have the coin? Yes, here. That's the Delirius at that time. On it, there's a face of Tiberius Caesar. That's the king at that time. And on it, it says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus, and the, verse, the reverse side chief priest. So the inscription is, originated in the imperial cult of imperial worship and was a claim to divinity, which was particularly repulsive to Jews. So they bought the coin and they asked, whose image is this? And then they say, Caesar. When Jesus asked, whose image is this? Wow, this image, the word, the Greek word is the same as the word that appears in Genesis in 1 chapter 1, verse 26, the um, the Greek version of the Old Testament Bible. Let's make mankind in our image. So the Pharisees would have understood Jesus is talking to him. Talking to these um, Pharisees, they will know what they mean it's that Jesus asking these Pharisees to give back to God what God is due, what they do to God and is to love Him and to observe His commandments. because Jesus, Jesus says, "Give back to Caesar what is Jesus and to God what is God?" And they were amazed at him. Now, when you notice this verse, the word give back is different from the word that they ask, shall we pay Caesar, pay tax or not. It's not the same word, it's a different word. Jesus deliberately used different word. The word means to pay back, to give up. Give up or pay, give back what belongs to Caesar, to Caesar. They do not belong to you. And give back yourself to God because you belong to Him. Wow, what's their response at that time? And chapter uh, verse 11 says they were amazed at Him. Well, I also look at the word amazed, and I was very amazed because this the only word is. Actually, in the original Greek, this should not be translated as amazed. This should be translated as utterly amazed. So if amazed is like that, amazed is oh, like that. <laughs> I have a kid like um, 18 years old in the Cantonese Congress. He always like this expression, so we are so familiar with this expression. We're well, utterly amazed. I was utterly amazed that this work but appear only once in the Bible. Wow, this makes me very amazed. And in the whole book of Mark, it always says about amazed, amaze, amaze. But utterly amazed is only here, only this time. So it's very interesting why they are so amazed. Why? Because they come, they thought that they would like, they thought this Jesus is a rebellion leader. They did not expect him to be willing to be against all the Jews because the Jews want him to be a Messiah. They want him to be um, not submit to Caesar, but Jesus said something that is actually against his people. And by seeing this, it will bring him to the cross. So they were amazed. But also they were amazed about the truth that he is saying. So what Jesus is saying, I think we can summarize in three things. The first thing is people should submit to the government even though they think they are God. Well, the word they here is not referring to the people. It's referring to the government. I don't want to use it. I don't want to use he or she. So even though Caesar, at that time, just asked people to worship him. He's thinking that he himself is God. But Jesus still asked, us, asked the people to submit to him by paying tax. And then the second thing is, Jesus is saying that all governments is under God's authority. Because Caesar himself is also made in the image of God. So he should give himself to God. He is under his authority, God's authority. Actually, all the rulers, all the authority, are made in the image of God, so they are all under God's authority. And actually Paul says a similar thing. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. The first thing Jesus is saying that Jesus is not promoting unreserved allegiance to the government. He said pay back to what belongs to Him. This does not exclude the possibility of revolution, civil disobedience, because all authority comes from God. When the government opposed His people, and when decision has to be made to be made to follow God or to follow Caesar, we should choose to follow God. That's what happened in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. When the authorities prohibit Peter and other apostles to preach the gospel, Peter and other apostles said we must obey God rather than human beings. So we need to submit to the government. But not obeying those commands that are against God, well, the question is, how do we submit to the government and not obeying some of its commands? Well, someone called Larry Richards gave a very good um, explanation about this. He says, "We can obey God. We can, we can obey God by breaking the law only if we are willing to accept the punishment law decrees. So we can still submit to the government, if we are willing to accept the punishment, if we don't obey to, to the government. So just like what Peter suffers, when he was put into prison, because he preached the gospel, they were put into prison. So, did Jesus actually bring an rebellion or not? On the surface, it seems not, because he's asking people to submit to the government But actually, he is bringing another rebellion This is a rebellion to the Roman Empire and to the whole world But this is a different kind of rebellion He's not using violence He's using his suffering, his death, and his resurrection to bring the revolution to the world When Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God, he's building the kingdom, not through the power, not through other means, but by his suffering, his death, and resurrection. You know, for those of us who believe in him, we are in two kingdoms, the earthly kingdom and the kingdom of God. And the famous Napoleon Bonabati has said something very profound. He says, "Alexander." Caesar, Chalimani, and I have found empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force, Jesus found his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Jesus built his kingdom not by violence, but by love. He is the one who has authority over religious leaders and over all the political powers. The kingdom of this world would come and go, but Jesus said, His kingdom lasts forever. His kingdom is not of this world. He invites us into His kingdom, and He asks us to be good citizens, and He calls us to build His kingdom through nonviolence, through love, through sacrifice, and through submission to Him. Remember what Jesus said the meek will inherit the land. Jesus himself gave a very good example of submission. He is the ultimate image of God and he submits to his father. We you know Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 to 9 very famous. Verse he says who being in very nature talking about Jesus did not consider equal equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exhorted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that's above every name. He was lifted up to have all authority. Over the heaven and the earth, because he submitted to the Father and did Father's will. So, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus, the Jesus who died for us, is the one, is the servant king. He's, he has given his life for us. Our lives belong to him, and we should give back our lives to him. In the rest of the chapters, uh, chapter 12, it talks about other religious. Scribes, teachers of the law, continue to challenge his authority, but they could not. And at the end of the chapter, Mark includes a story, which contrasts greatly with how the religious leaders um, deal with God. Chapter 11, uh, chapter 12, verse 41 to 44, talk about a poor lady. He come to the temple. Treasury and flow just two very small copper coins. The Bible says it's just worth a few cents. It contrasts greatly with the denarius that they were talking about. They were using the denarius as a theological discussion tool, but this lady actually flow in all she has. This is what Jesus said. out of her poverty, she put in everything, all she had to live on. When Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God, we can see this lady who did not have much, just a few cents, but Jesus said she has put in everything. So when Jesus says, give God what belongs to God, he, he is asking us to give ourselves to Him. And from the story of this poor widow, we are told to give ourselves to Him does not mean how much we give, but how less we give for ourselves. So chapter 1, 11 to 12, tells us that Jesus is indeed a servant king who has authority over religious authorities, political authorities, and all authority has been given to him, but he died for us. It's the same Jesus who called us to be good citizens, to have ultimate allegiance to God. He's calling us to extend his kingdom, not by force, but by suffering, love, sacrifice, just as what he did for us. So may we receive what Mark tries to say to us and give ourselves to God. Remember it is not how much we give, but how less we give we keep for ourselves. Let's pray. Father we thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you that the Jesus that died for us is the servant king. And we do not deserve all this. We are just like a poor widow. We don't have anything. And God help us to be like this widow, to give ourselves back to you, because we are made in your image. We belong to you. In Jesus' name I pray all this. Amen.